Well, hello, welcome. It's great to see all of you here on our campus. Let me welcome everybody joining us online as well. And uh, here's the thing, as Abby was talking, I was just standing there thinking about, don't ever take for granted the fact that you're here. Um, there's just something about being where you're supposed to be. Um, I was a student pastor for years, and I told teenagers, hey, just be where you're supposed to be. Like, if you got class, go. If you got practice, go. If you're supposed to be at church, be there. And as parents, my wife and I are raising three boys. I tell them all the time, just be where you're supposed to be. It's interesting to me that oftentimes God meets us in the place where we're supposed to be, okay? So as I look around this room this morning, here's what I'm telling you right now. I don't take for granted that any of you are here. You made a choice to be here. And here's what I think will happen. Because you chose to be here, you are where you're supposed to be. I believe God's gonna speak to you today, okay? God has a word for you today, but don't ever take for granted the fact that you actually chose to be here. In fact, let's just do something. Y'all clap for me every week. I want you to clap for yourself. Let yourself know, hey, I'm where I'm supposed to be. It's good. I like that. I'm all fired up already. I hadn't even started. I'm ready to go, all right? So look, if you're new, welcome. We crazy around here. I hope that's okay with you. And we love Jesus and we like to look into his word. And we're in this series called On the Edge. And the reason why we are in this series is we're trying to find purpose in the painful circumstances in our life. And so if you're just jumping in, we're in, I think, about week four now. We've been in this for a month. And so all those other messages are posted on our website. And here's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about how we actually can find purpose in the pain of running from God. And that can seem like something that's unique to some people, but what I hope to show you today is it's actually something that all of us do from time to time. Not in a way to judge you, not in a way to come down on you, but in a way that once we acknowledge this can be happening in our lives, and maybe for some of you, you're here today, and that's why you're here. You know you're running from God. Others of you, maybe it's not as obvious, but I think we can see some purpose in it. Now, here's the idea. like, Why would we even do that? Like, why would we run from God? Like, God's all-knowing, God's all-powerful, God's loving, he knows what's best for our life. I mean, it would seem like when God says, do this, we'd be like, absolutely. When God says, here's my will, that we would gladly step into it. But, but, but see, we all wrestle with that. Sometimes we'll be singing and John will, he'll, he'll roll into a chorus or sometimes we'll do the, the entire song where, where we tell God, you can have it all. It's a chorus we sing around here a lot. Okay, we were all like in unison saying to God, you can have it all. And I've often wondered how many times as we've been singing, you can have it all, God's looking down on us and going, really? Really? Hey, you're single and you're telling God, you can have it all. And God's like, let's talk about your dating life. No, not, not, not that part, God. No, 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 no. Like, I'll keep that to myself. Like, God, you can have it all. God says, let's talk about your finances. No, God, that's Old Testament. We're not gonna talk about that. No, I'm gonna keep singing. Be your marriage, be your parenting, your career. There's all these different things that if we're not careful, we're actually keeping things from God. And once we start down that road, eventually we will find ourselves in a place where we are in fact running from God going in the exact opposite direction that he called us to. So we're gonna take a look at a guy today. It's actually what he's known for. Can you imagine that? For all of human history, you were known for being the person who ran from God, okay? And that's Jonah. And even people who didn't grow up in church or maybe haven't been around church or don't know a lot about the Bible, they've, they've probably heard of a guy named Jonah. And he, he, the details are a little fuzzy, but he did something that got him in trouble. They threw him into a sea. A whale swallowed him. He lived there for three days. That guy, that's who we're gonna talk about today. And we've kind of turned it into a kid's story, which is a little weird, a little weird. 
mean, that seems like the things of nightmares, if you ask me, but we read it to children and think that God will bless it for some reason, right? I mean, even VeggieTales made Jonah, all right? So if you don't love VeggieTales, repent in the name of the Lord, all right? VeggieTales is awesome, all right? So raising three boys, when they were little, we watch VeggieTales all the time. We still watch it sometimes for fun, okay? So they have this whole episode on, uh, you should find it today, not now, later today, you should find it and watch it. And they talk about Jonah, and um, instead of going to the Ninevites, which we're gonna learn about today, the Ninevites, you know, Jonah didn't wanna go to there because they were, they were mean, they were bad people. So in, in the Veggie Tales, they're not called Ninevites, they're called fish slappers because they slap people with fish, okay? So it's just fantastic. Watch it later, you'll get the joke. Anyway, so that's the idea. So we're gonna be in Jonah 2. If you have a Bible, turn there. If not, we'll put all the verses up here for you. But before we get into Jonah chapter 2, there's actually four chapters in Jonah, so let me kind of summarize what happens in the other three. Again, maybe a little fuzzy on the details. Jonah's a prophet, which means he speaks on behalf of God. God comes to him and says, I need you to go talk about me, proclaim the good things about me to the people in Nineveh. And Jonah says, no, I'm not gonna go to Nineveh. I'm going to go to Tarshish. He literally does the exact opposite of what God tells him to do. He's on this boat, a storm comes, they're starting to figure out, like, why is there a storm? And finally, Jonah's like, it's me, I'm the problem. They throw him into the sea, and they're like, God, don't hold this against us. And so Jonah's in the sea, and then God sends a whale, and the whale swallows Jonah, and then the whale um, throws Jonah up, which is awesome, just to think about that for a second, okay? It's amazing. Projectile vomiting Jonah. That's what happens, okay? Some of y'all getting wheezy, or, you know, that's what happens. And you're like, what? This is just a random story. And first of all, like, why is, 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 is Jonah like doing this? Like, wh why is he not doing what God told him to do? Why is God sending a whale? Why, why is all the things? So there's a few reasons. One, Jonah doesn't wanna go to Nineveh because the Ninevites were kind of known for killing people. That was their reputation. Like, if you came as a foreigner with a messenger they didn't like, they would kill you. So, so Jonah doesn't wanna go because obviously that's gonna place him in harm's way. He also doesn't wanna go because in Jonah's mind, that's not what prophets are supposed to do. A prophet is supposed to speak on behalf of God to God's people, the Hebrew people, not to foreigners. So Jonah doesn't want to go there. And then the third reason he doesn't wanna go there, and this is really interesting, and we see this in Jonah chapter four, is that Jonah actually knows in the back of his mind that God might actually show kindness and favor to the Ninevites, and Jonah doesn't want God to do that. In fact, at the end of the story, because he does eventually make his way to Nineveh and he preaches and they respond in repentance and God showers them with grace and favor, Jonah gets mad at God and goes, this is just like you. <laughs> Don't you love it like when we get mad at God for being kind to other people and forget how kind he's been to us, okay? It should encourage you if you do that. You've done that. Don't act like you haven't done that. You've done that this week about your neighbor. You've done that, okay? You've done that. Jonah did it, and he's in the Bible, so we're good. You're in good company, okay? But what God called Jonah to do didn't match up with what Jonah thought God should call him to do, and therefore he ran. And so I wanna read chapter two. It's kinda long. Hang with me. We're gonna kinda see what happens in chapter two because it's in Jonah chapter two that he tells us about what was actually happening as he was drowning, See, Jonah's not recording the book of Jonah, this narrative account, in real time. He, he's reflecting later in life, and he's telling us the story of what happened. And when Jonah got into the whale, 
that was actually the first time he had an opportunity to reflect about what had just happened, how he had been thrown into the sea, how God had rescued him, how he had cried out to God. And for Jonah, the, the power of the whale was the time to reflect upon what had happened while he was in the water. He doesn't tell us anything about what being inside a whale looked like. He doesn't describe what it smelled like, which seems like he would have gone out of his way to tell us, which is why some people don't believe this account. Like there's no way that this actually happened because Jonah doesn't even tell us about being in the well. And I know it can kind of seem like a fairy tale or far-fetched story to believe. The reason why I have zero issue believing Jonah actually lived in the belly of a well for three days is one, the Bible says it, and I just take all of God's word at face value. But then two, Jesus talked about it as well. Jesus actually references Jonah and the well. So if Jesus says something happened and Jesus walked out of a tomb, I'll take his word, okay? So that's kind of my conclusion, all things biblical interpretation. So let me read Jonah chapter two. It's a really interesting account, okay? Starting in verse one. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. And he said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. You listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. The current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. So he's talking about what happened here. He's giving us this account. He's reflecting now that he's in the well. Verse four, I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again to your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep waters surrounded me. One of my favorite phrases in the Bible. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. That's how bad it got. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord, and the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. He's telling us what was going through his mind as he sat in that well for three days. And in many ways, he's giving us the explanation for why he was actually running from God. It's a small little verse tucked away in the passage I just read, but I wanna revisit it because it's foundational to what we're talking about today. In verse eight, here's what he says. We just read it a second ago. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. This is Jonah giving us insight into why he was running from God, that there was an idol in his life and Jonah says, if you cling to an idol, you will turn away from God. You will eventually begin to run from God. And you say, isn't idols, aren't those the little kind of gold statues in the Old Testament that people would make and they would bow down and worship to them? And yes, that did happen sometimes, but that's not what's happening in this account. There's nowhere in the story of Jonah that he makes a tangible idol to bow down and worship. Jonah is speaking about an idol that's caused him to turn away from God's love. And, and what I would like to suggest to you today is that Jonah's idol had actually become his own comfort, his own safety, his own expectations of God. And when God told him to do something that did not sync up with that, he went in the opposite direction. And, and what I want us to see today, church, is that we're just like Jonah. We don't build tangible idols, but we all have idols in our heart. So that's kind of harsh, Pastor. I mean I, I mean, I know I'm not perfect, but to say I have an idol in my life, an idol is anytime you take a good thing and you turn it into a God thing. 
An idol is any time you take something and you seat it on the throne of your life. The only person who should be seated there is Jesus. And it can be a number of things that if we're not careful over time is actually dictating not just our attitude, not just our emotions, but literally our choices as well, causing us to run from God. But you see, if we recognize that, acknowledge that, and turn from that, we can find purpose in that. So what I wanna do is I wanna share five things with you where I believe we're just like Jonah in this account. So if you're taking notes, you might wanna jot these down, okay? First of all, just like Jonah, I can't see the idols that are driving what and why I do certain things. I'm just like Jonah and so are you. I don't think in real time Jonah recognized that his idol of comfort, expectations, and safety were the reason why he was running from God. But there's always things happening in our lives and they're driving our behaviors. Steve Carter, who's preached here many times, calls them the thing beneath the thing. Like, what's really going on? So someone says, I, I, I lose my temper all the time. I really struggle with anger. Here's the question, why? Maybe there's actually an idol in your heart. Maybe it's the idol of being accepted by everyone. And when you don't feel like you're being accepted, you react in anger. Maybe it's the idol of finding your identity in things other than being a child of God, and so what happens is insecurity begins to build and you lash out in anger. See, one of the biggest lies we believe is that we actually know why we do the things we do. And we don't. Oftentimes there's an idol driving this. And it's always easier to just address the behavior. It's always easier to just talk about what needs to change. Stop being so angry. Anybody ever told you that before? Quit losing your temper. It's like, well, okay, I appreciate you pointing out the problem, but like, that's not really helping me change. But we always try to modify the behavior instead of actually looking at what's causing the behavior. And I'm suggesting it might be an idol. We do this with our kids. We do this with our kids. So if your kids are anything like mine, they disobey you, okay? Yes, the pastor's kids disobey him, okay? They disobey me. And one of the traps I've fallen into as a parent is that it's easier to try to modify their behaviors than do some heart diagnosis and figure out what's driving their behaviors. I mean, so many times with my boys, I'm just, I mean, I just go straight up Lion King. I'm like, you deliberately disobeyed me. Like, I just wanna say that, right? <laughs> it's like, what are we doing? Like, I told you what to do, you did the opposite. And, and I just wanna change that. And our kids are smart. Like, at some point, they'll change just to, just to make us be quiet, okay? It's like, enough from dad already, okay? So it's always more difficult to, to dig. Like, what's driving that behavior of defiance or disobedience? And it could be an idol has taken root in their heart. So before we kind of really jump into some practical steps to take, I just think it's good for us to right-size, hey, listen, we all have idols in our hearts. They're driving our behaviors. We don't see them. They're blind spots. And if we're not careful, they can lead us to where we're running from God. Here's the second point for today. Just like Jonah, God will expose my idols for his glory and my good. God loves us too much to just leave us in the current state that we're in. He will expose those idols. And it's going to be terribly painful when he does. So what exposed the idol in Jonah's heart? It's when the word of the Lord came to Jonah. When the Lord, word of the Lord came to Jonah, it said, God's word, God said, you need to go to Nineveh. And we know that it exposed an idol because Jonah didn't do what God told him to do. He went to Tarshish. And that is what exposed this idol of comfort, safety, and expectations. And, and God's word still exposes idols. 
Now, the good thing for us is we have God's word in God's word. And one of the reasons we read God's word is so that God will actually expose the idols in our heart through his word. And church, we have so much more information about God than Jonah did. I mean, first of all, we know about Jesus. Jonah didn't know about Jesus. We know that, that Jesus lived the perfect life and then he defeated death through the resurrection. Those of us who are Christ followers, we have the Holy Spirit permanently in us. We have 2,000 years of church history. We have an entire Bible. Jonah didn't have any of those things. But when we read God's word, one of the things that God will do through his word is expose idols in our heart. See, we don't read the Bible just so that we can learn more information. We read it so we can experience transformation, okay? So I didn't say this. There's lots of smart people who have said this, but it's true. The Bible's the only book that as we read it, it reads us. So when I read the Bible, I don't, I don't sense that that's happening. Well, you're not doing anything wrong, but can I, can I challenge you that this week, when you sit down to read God's word, before you open his word, just pray that prayer. Hey, God, as I read your word today, will you search my heart? Will you expose any idol in my heart? Is there anything in my life that's seated on the throne that only you are supposed to be seated on? And will you be gracious to show me that idol and see the most kind and gracious thing God could do is show you the idol in your heart. Show me the idol in my heart. Because in doing so, he begins to show us what's actually driving our behaviors. But make no mistake about it, when he does that, it's not always going to be comfortable. It's not always going to be fun. But it is always going to be for his glory and our good. Let me give you the third thing from Jonah. Just like Jonah, we make idols out of comfort, safety, and expectations. Now, this is the point I didn't wanna teach. If I can just be honest with you. Like, this was the point I wanted to skip. But I think there's just some things that have to be said. For those of us who were American Christians, we, we've kind of grown up in a, in a pretty, you know, safe environment. Like, we're not, you know, our lives aren't threatened because of being Christ followers. And I think for a lot of us, what's happened is we've gotten to a place in our lives where our own comfort has become an idol. Our safety has become an idol. The expectations that we place on God have become an idol. And, and, and I hate to be the one to break this to you, but your safety is not a high priority to God. Like God did not create you, rescue and redeem you through the blood of his son Jesus so you could have a safe life. He's not trying to keep you comfortable. I've heard people lie in churches for years. I don't think they were trying to lie, but they were lying in churches. And here's what I mean. I've heard this lie preached from pulpits, telling people that the safest place you can be is the center of God's will. That's a lie. Because if the safest place you can be is the center of God's will, there's a problem with about 75% of the Bible. Because as I read God's word, when people take steps of obedience and place themselves in the center of God's will, oftentimes it puts them in a place where they're less safe. Try telling the disciples who are martyred for their faith after Jesus ascended into heaven that the safest place to be is the center of God's will. Try telling our brothers and sisters who live in other parts of the world where they're persecuted for their faith that the safest place to be is the center of God's will. Church, I'm here to tell you that oftentimes when you put yourself in the center of God's will, it will make your life less comfortable and it'll actually place you in areas where you're not safe at all. 
See, God is good and his will is good, but do not equate God's goodness with safety and comfort for your life. And see, we don't wanna hear these things. And, and, and truthfully, I don't wanna preach these things because these types of messages don't fill up rooms. They don't. What fills up rooms is telling everybody it's gonna be fine and God wants you to be good and the safest place to be is the center of his will. He's gonna take care of everything. It's gonna be awesome. But then like, you know, I, I'm saying, yeah, but you know, what if the, you know, what if we've made idols of those things and, and God's not interested in your safety and then I start to thin the herd a little bit and next week there's less people and the next week there's less people. It's like, we need to go back to the other messages, right? It's idols. It's idols. Parents, don't make the safety of your children an idol. I've seen it before. A teenager, a college student, walking with Jesus, feels called to something, tells their parents, I feel like God's calling me to go into a place where the gospel message isn't being preached. Maybe it's another city, maybe it's another nation, and I feel like God's calling me to be someone that he wants to use, and the parents shut all that down. No, 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 God wouldn't call you to do that. That's not safe at all. Do you know why the parents are saying that? Because they're good parents. But see, parents, our kids don't belong to us. They belong to God. Parenting's a stewardship. What if God calls your kid into something that's not safe? Are you going to join your kid in praying? that they have the faith to be obedient to what God calls them to, no matter the cost. So many times we've made an idol of our own expectations of God. We, we fall into a type of faith where we basically reach the conclusion that God would never fill in the blank. God would never make me move. God would never make me change careers. God would never challenge me to be generous to a point where I'm actually having to like not do the things I wanna do, God would never call me to that. Oh yes, he would. And yes, he will, and yes, he may be. And oftentimes what's keeping us from fully stepping into what God's calling us to do is we're just like Jonah. Wait a second, that call feels a lot more like Nineveh. You're calling me to something that's not safe, it's uncomfortable. That doesn't match the expectations, God, of, of what you're supposed to do. I mean, we go before God with our list and say, God, bless this. God says, why don't you get rid of your list and hand me the pen? Give me the sheet of paper. Quit bringing your expectations to me and let me do with you what I wanna do with you. And if you'll roll with this, it's going to be good. But it might actually make you feel a little uncomfortable. And we've made an idol of those things. We're just like Jonah. It, then it drives our behavior, and all of a sudden we find ourselves in a place where we're not walking with God. Number four, just like Jonah, we get to determine how severe it gets before we respond in obedience. For Jonah, he did not respond in obedience until there was seaweed wrapped around his head. That is severe. He was drowning. He was fighting for his life. But what I want you to see is it didn't have to be that way. Yeah. And for about the next five minutes, which y'all know if a preacher says the next five minutes, it means 10. We're all on the same page there, okay? <laughs> for the next five to 10 minutes, I do think for some of you this is a, it's a providential appointment. God wants to show you something that you get to determine how severe it gets when you're running from God. Let me 
use a little image, a little diagram to kind of help us understand that. See, I believe there's kind of four ways of looking at this, that, that Jonah received the initial word from God and then he was on the dock and then he was on the boat and then he found himself in the water. And, and so there's some time that passed from the time Jonah heard from God and disobeyed until the time he was actually thrown overboard and found himself in the water. And, and in my mind, the time that passed, those other two categories were Jonah on the dock and Jonah on the boat. And so I'm gonna paint a picture for how I think this story went down. It may not be exactly how it went down. We'll find out one day in heaven. But for the purposes of this illustration and this point, I think that it's helpful. See, I think Jonah received his word from the Lord, go to, go to Nineveh, and he said, no, I'm gonna go to Tarshish. And so what that meant was he had to purchase a ticket to get on a boat to go to Tarshish. And the way I see this is he went up to a ticket counter. He went up to a ticket counter and there was a poster over here and it was tickets for Nineveh. And there was a poster over here and it was tickets for Tarshish. And it was very obvious. I mean, there were two lines and he knew which line he was supposed to get in, but he didn't get in that line. He got in the line to go to Tarshish. And so he purchased his ticket and now he is walking down a dock to get on a boat he's not supposed to be on. And in my mind, as Jonah's walking down that dock and he's holding this ticket that's supposed to say Nineveh, but in fact it says Tarshish, what if in a moment he had come to his senses? What if he had said, what am I doing? Like I'm looking at a ticket and it has the wrong destination. I am intentionally running from God. I am deliberately disobeying God. What if in that moment he had come clean? What would have happened? God would have forgiven him. God would have forgiven him. What would the severity of the consequence have been? A ticket he couldn't use because I don't think he would have gone back to the ticket counter and demanded a refund. I think the guy would have been like, dude, you were just here 30 minutes ago. Like you were in the wrong line. You bought the wrong ticket. I'm keeping my money. So that's kind of a pain. Like Jonah spent money on a ticket he can't use. That's a consequence, but it's better than having seaweed wrapped around your head. He would have declared the severity of his consequence. If in that moment he had come to his senses, but let's just imagine he, he didn't. He keeps walking down the dock and he eventually gets on the wrong boat. So now, not only does he have the wrong ticket, he's actually on the wrong boat. I don't know if you've ever been on a cruise or, or been somewhere near a cruise port when people are leaving for a cruise, like they all kind of stand on the, on, the, on the ship and they wave to everybody like, hi, we're about to have more fun than you. They do that, right? They kind of make fun of you that you're still on land and they're about to go out to sea and have a blast. It's awesome. So I think in my mind, that's what Jonah's doing with, with everybody else. They're just waving. We're going to visit... We're going to visit Tarshish, wonderful this time of year. They have their own island with water slides. It's gonna be great. Like, that's where we're headed. We're going to Tarshish. And what if in doing that, as this boat's getting ready to leave, he goes, what am I doing? I am on the wrong boat. I can see the other boat. It hasn't left yet, the one that's going to Nineveh. I'm supposed to be on that boat. What if in that moment he had recognized, I'm not doing what God called me to do, and he'd yelled out, stop the boat. What would have happened? Well, God would have forgiven him. What would the severity of his consequence have been? A lot of embarrassment. I mean, no one wants to be the guy who stops a boat, makes it pull back into harbor, like you get off, everybody's talking about you on social media, like, yeah, you're not gonna believe this guy, like, we're leaving. And so, like, it would have been really embarrassing. Not a fun day for Jonah, but it's better than having seaweed wrapped around your head. It wasn't until Jonah was thrown into the depths of the sea, drowning, with seaweed wrapped around his head, that he was finally willing to own what he had done. 
And in that moment, he was then experiencing the severity of his consequence. Listen to me. For some of you, you're just like Jonah. It takes having seaweed wrapped around your head before you will finally own your sin, own your disobedience. I mean, it's not till the marriage is com has completely fallen apart and there is literally no hope for repair that you're finally now willing to own what you contributed to it and say, okay, God, I come clean. And listen, if that's where you're at, that's your only move is to come clean. And let me tell you what God does. He responds in kindness and forgives you, but you've got a whole lot of consequences you have to deal with. And it didn't have to be that way. But listen, if that's where you are today, go to God. But just for a minute, I'd love to talk to the other two groups of people who I believe are in this room, who I believe are joining us online. I wanna talk to some of y'all that are on the dock right now or you're on the boat. You know what God's called you to do and you're moving deliberately in the wrong direction away from that. And maybe no one else even knows about it. See, when Jonah's on the dock with the wrong ticket, in that moment, he thinks he's getting away with it. He's not being struck by lightning. God's not sending an earthquake. It's a sunny day. Like, he's walking down the dock. He's living in sin, and only he knows it, and no one else knows it. And for some of you right now, like, you're on the dock in a particular area of your life. So let's, let's just, let's just I, I could do this with a number of areas. Let's just talk about marriage for a second. Let's say you're in a marriage right now, and it's really, really hard. It's just hard. Can I just for a second, can we just right-size marriage? Marriage is hard. If no one told you that before you got married, I'm really sorry. I coached football this past fall, sixth and seventh grade boys. I had 35 of them on the team. About the second week of practice, they just kept saying, it hurts. We're doing tackling drills and they're getting lit up and they're going, it hurts. I finally blew my whistle. Get in here, everybody take a knee. I looked at the whole team and I said, from this point forward, thus saith your coach, no one can say it hurts. <laughs> Let me tell you why it hurts. It's football. <laughs> like when you watch these guys on TV, do you know every time somebody hits them, it hurts really bad and they get up and they keep asking for more. Football's not for everybody. I said, listen, it hurts. If you don't wanna get hurt playing a sport, go play tennis. Go play tennis. <laughs> I said that to him. I love tennis. It's a great sport. It takes a lot of skill. But see, when you play tennis, nobody's trying to tackle you, all right? That's the difference. So from that point forward, no one could say they were hurt. If you're injured, that's a different story. Concussion, that's a different story. But sometimes I feel like in marriage, we need to just circle everybody up. Let's all take a knee, blow a whistle, and go, hey, here's the thing. It's hard. It's hard. When you put two sinners together, all you create is synergy. That's what happens. <laughs> it is hard. I mean, my gosh. And they lived happily ever after, the worst lie ever recorded in literature. We doing? God didn't give you a spouse to make you happy. God gave you a spouse for your discipleship. You can fool everybody else. I can fool all of y'all. You know who I cannot fool? My incredibly godly wife, Morgan, 
who loves me too much to let me be the kind of person who's one person on the stage and a different person off the stage. And I'm grateful for that. She drives me crazy sometimes with it, but I'm grateful for that, right? Sometimes she and the Holy Spirit tag team together on me, right? <laughs> like, what are we doing? So I'm going with all this is given that, and given the availability of being connected with people, I love social media, our church is on social media, there's nothing wrong with social media, but one of the things that you can find on social media are the people you used to date in high school or college. They're there. You're in a marriage and it's hard and you're scrolling through social media and you know you come across somebody you dated back in the past. Well, they still work out, wow. Kind of linger there for a minute, you know. I wonder how they're doing, you know. And you're like, is there something wrong with that initial thing? Do you think there was something wrong with Jonah initially getting in the wrong line to go to the wrong place? That's how it starts. That's how it starts. And so I'm just trying to say, listen, the enemy's gonna do anything he can to get you off track. And in this particular area, marriage, that might be one of his strategies, but like if that's the case, like you just notice someone and you've kind of let your mind start to wander and they're better than your spouse and all the different things, like how about you stop that now? How about you stop it now? And if you're not willing to stop it now, I'm going to challenge you to, to just play that scenario out because it might end up where you're drowning in a sea with seaweed wrapped around your head, having lost everything that matters to you. So better to go ahead and, and, and own it now. So own it now, that doesn't need to be a part of my life. They, they actually have this really amazing feature on Facebook. It's awesome, it's very underutilized. I'm gonna encourage you to use it. It's a feature that you, all you have to do is click this little button, it'll drop down. I can walk you through the steps after the service, but you can drop down. And it's this amazing word, it says unfriend. <laughs> and you can select it. And you can rid yourself of that person for the rest of your life. You have unfriended them. In the name of Jesus, you have unfriended them. <laughs> You'll never have to see them again. You're like, well, I don't wanna hurt their feelings. Please hurt their feelings. I give you permission to hurt their feelings in the name of Jesus for the good of your marriage. And that's a pretty minor consequence compared to losing your marriage. See, I could do this all day with any area of our lives, but if we pay attention church, because God is so good, he will send his Holy Spirit many times into our lives to catch us while we're still walking on the dock. Wait a second. What am I doing? Where am I going? Why is my mind going there again? But so many times we give ourselves too much credit. We think I'd never do that. We think I'm above that, and we just keep right on walking, not realizing we're on our way to the boat, we're eventually gonna end up in the sea. My challenge to you is to recognize that at any moment, you get to choose the severity of your consequences. It did not have to end this way for Jonah. It did, and the fact that it did end that way and how God responded shows us the last thing that's incredibly amazing and it's actually some really good news for us to see how this story concludes. See, just like with Jonah, God's our great rescuer. It's unbelievable. I mean, Jonah, in complete defiance to God, 
dealing with the severity of his consequences. God rescues him. See, the whale wasn't punishment for Jonah. The whale was rescue for Jonah. What an amazing way to rescue Jonah. And some of you need to be encouraged by that. You're never too far outside the reach of God. He sent a whale after Jonah. Are you kidding me? Unbelievable. God has the entire universe at his disposal. He can use anything he needs to rescue you, including a whale, if that's what it takes. And it's a reflection of the kindness and the goodness of God. He's our rescuer. And see, you don't have to spend three days in the belly of a whale to experience God's rescue because Jesus spent three days in a tomb so that he could rescue you. And he walked out of that tomb and he offers you rescue today. Do you know the first thing that Jonah did when he recognized he had been rescued by God? He worshiped. He worshiped. For some of you, as we enter into this time of worship, it's the first time you're actually going to worship God in spirit and truth because you're being rescued right now. You can feel it. It's the Holy Spirit. saying, come home, quit running from God, your heavenly Father. For others of you, as we enter into this time of worship, you're gonna worship because what God's done for you today is he's rescued you from going further into the sin that you didn't even see how bad it had gotten. And in his kindness and in his goodness, he's pointed that out to you today. Would you bow your head with me? I think some of you here today, here's what you realize you're being rescued from, your own sin. God brought you here today so you could hear the good news that Jesus paid the price for you and he offers you rescue. Hey, if that's where you're at today, here's my encouragement to you, own it, own it. Say, God, I'm a sinner. Hey God, I believe you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin so I could be rescued from my sin and I believe Jesus walked out of the tomb and he offers me eternal life and I wanna ask him to come into my life and give me that eternal life. You can be rescued from your sin today. Some of you need to be rescued. Not in a way where you experience salvation. You've experienced salvation. You're just walking down a dock. You're on a boat you're not supposed to be on. You're drowning in a sea and you need to cry out to God, your heavenly father, and just own it. Hey God, I'm running from you. God, there's an idol that's been driving this behavior and I wanna lay that idol down. I wanna confess that and I wanna come back to you. And here's what God says, welcome home. Here's what God says, I've never gone anywhere. You may have strayed from me, I've been here all along. He lovingly welcomes you back as one of his children. And so God, what can we say but thank you? Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for being so gracious to us. And God, for those of us who are on the dock in a particular area of our life, God, give us the strength to just stop. God, maybe for some of us, we need to not only come clean with you during this time of response, but we need to come clean with another person. God, give us the courage to do that. God, thank you that you're so good that you expose these idols in our hearts so that we can live in freedom. God, pour out your spirit in this place. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.